praise his holy name Christ 
in a small French province in 1847. A local parish priest came along and he came to a poet and a French commissioner of wines named Francis Capot. And he asked him if he would pen a poem for the upcoming Midnight Mass and Christmas service at the local church. Well, the man was shocked because he wasn't much of a church attender. And at the same time, he was honored that he would ask. And so he accepted this invitation and very excited. He sat down to pen a poem. And he needed divine inspiration. And and so he opened up the good book to the scripture, Luke chapter 2. And while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. After he read Luke chapter 2, he penned the poem that so many of us know as O Holy Night. And after Capot penned this poem, he realized it wasn't just a poem, but that it was a song in need of a musician's touch. And so he went to his friend, Adolphe Charles Adam, and he asked him if he would be a part of this. But a man of Jewish ancestry, uh, this was a day that he didn't celebrate and a man that he didn't worship. But at the same time, nevertheless, he felt compelled to be a part of this. And so he put together an original score Uh, for the song. And three weeks later, it was introduced in Midnight Mass and Christmas Eve service. Quickly, it gained popularity and and was loved and appreciated for the spiritual content and, and started spreading to other churches until the Catholic Church found out who had wrote it and who had composed it. And then they immediately denounced the song and it ended there. Ten years later, a reclusive writer in the United States got a hold of the song and heard it and and realized that this song needs to be, it's such an incredible song, it needs to be shared with the world. And so John Sullivan Dwight picked up that song and he also had an interest as an ardent abolitionist because of some of what was said in the song. And so just as much as the overtones of Christ, he loved the undertones that kind of addressed slavery. And so he pushed as as hard as he could to make this song popular. But he identified with verses like verse 3. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother 
and in his name all oppression shall cease. Oh, holy night. We call this the holy night, but everything that had historically been holy was broken on this night. In fact, in many ways, there was a redefinition of holiness that happened. For hundreds of years, things were set up a certain way. In fact, in the Old Testament, when you see, uh, when you see the temple and how it was built, it was built in levels to experience the presence of God. You had the outer courts and then the inner courts and then the holy place and then the holy of holies. And so each level to advance into the next level, uh, it, was, it was an exclusive thing. It became more exclusive until you got into the inside. And only one person one a year, once a year, the high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies. So for the shepherds, dirty and worn, to enter in was, was unacceptable. Because there were laws about cleanliness for the magi, for the wise men, practicers of a foreign religion. To enter any farther than the outer courts would be unheard of. But in one foul swoop, things changed. In one declaration, in one proclamation from the angels, all of a sudden it became, come as you are. And those that were deemed unacceptable were brought into the presence. The shepherds, dirty and warm, came into the presence of God. The magi, unfit, came into it. Didn't just come into his presence, though. But they were the first people, the first humans to receive the message of the Lord and then to proclaim it to the world around them. Those that were deemed unfit, unacceptable, unworthy. There's a lot of parallels between Luke 2 and our song, O Holy Night, today. When you think about it, that the song was inspired by a forgotten parish priest, that it was written by a local poet and wine distributor, and then that it was composed by a local Jewish man, and then made famous by a reclusive writer in America who had an agenda for the song. But the fact was that the song pointed people to Jesus. And we learn so much from the spiritual content from this song, but we learn even more from the irreligious context of this song. Jesus came to transform, and he came with a transformative message that he came to redefine order. And he opened up his arms of love to those that the system, that, that the religious that the institution deemed as unworthy, he gave worth to by his invitation. This point in Luke chapter 2 is the axis of history. It's the tipping point. It's the night that everything changed. And it was a redefinition of holiness. It's not about inclusivity or, or exclusivity. No, it's about alienation versus reconciliation. God called us, all of us, Back to him. In verse 10, it says, I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all people. I don't care who you are. 
I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you wore today. I don't care what you smell like. I don't care what you have in your hand. I don't care what you don't have in your hand. You are invited into the presence of the Lord today. You are invited to experience his joy. And we look at this and we so underestimate. We don't appreciate the explosion of goodness that happens in the Christmas story. We don't properly understand the joy that has been made available to every single one of us. But it all of a sudden just happens. In an instant, the Messiah is here. The Savior is born. And it came in a way that was completely unexpected. As I read and reread the story in Luke chapter 2, I lived in it this week. This, this word suddenly... It just kind of kept gripping me and grabbing me. And and, I read a Washington Post article this week about uh, the sudden success of the Washington Redskins that was 20 years coming. (laughs) And the premise was that, that so many people are so passionate and waiting and anticipating. I've got a little ring up here. I don't know if you can hear that or... Or, or get rid of that. That would be great. But, but it, this article is about the, the pent-up anticipation of what was going to come. And we've been waiting for so long, for 20 years, and all of a sudden, it's just here. And we didn't even realize it. Just like last month, we were ready to kick the coach out and, and get rid of this person and that person. And then all of a sudden, it's right in front. Success in, is right in front of us. Suddenly, it is upon us, and people don't know what to do. Suddenly is an interesting thing because it often comes after years of anticipation. Look back into the Old Testament. You see Joseph, and suddenly he's brought into the presence of the king, into the courts of the king. But it was 13 years of exile that he had, 13 years of praying and seeking for God's help. We see Moses, who who went from prince to farmer. And he was out in the wilderness for year after year after year. And and suddenly the presence of God shows up in form of the burning bush. We see here in Luke chapter 2 that the angel shows up. And then the choir comes suddenly. And they proclaim that a Savior is born. That the presence of God is among them. And it seems so sudden, yet there was hundreds and hundreds of years of buildup of anticipation to this moment. People had spent their entire lifetimes praying towards this moment, to this holy night. Now let's take a moment just to, to dissect this for a minute or two and indulge ourselves because before we, we completely buy in, you know, I read this, and there's just a tiny little, little bit of cynic within me when I read this. And, and I see it, and I think, okay, this is like the holy moment, right? This is the thrill of hope that we've been talking about through this sermon series that comes from the song that we sang today, Oh Holy Night, the thrill of hope that comes into these shepherds. And, okay, they have this thrill of hope, but why? Because, because when I read it, nothing has actually happened yet, right? There's a proclamation, but... but like they haven't gotten any more, like their financial life hasn't increased or they haven't gotten gifts and, and the economy is still the same and the job numbers are the same and the Fed hasn't come out and decreased the, the uh, interest rates. Like everything, you know, the poverty rate, the graduate, everything is still the same. In fact, the, the, the shepherds had, were called to take this long journey that they had to, to get on a crowded airplane 
and go to a city where there was no motel availability. They had to sleep in a room with animals. They gave gifts in the gift exchange and there was no exchange. They didn't get anything back. Sounds a lot like some of our Christmases, doesn't it? And we see this and I, I read it though. Growing up here where, where we look inwardly and we look towards self and our culture teaches us something and I have this capitalist Christmas mindset that I read this story and I think, okay, well, what are they actually getting out of this though? It's interesting because recent study shows um, the, the rise in self-givers around the holidays, okay? And so we see uh, retailers actually have a name for this, and they call it gift conversion, where people go out to the mall to buy a gift for a friend, and they come back not with a gift for a friend, but a gift for themselves. And so marketers have actually uh, become attuned to this. And so there's different marketing efforts. There's one from J. Crew that says, to you, from you. There's another one that says, what is your gift? Kind of putting the emphasis on you. And, and let's just have a moment of honesty here this morning. Could we have a quick group confessional here today, okay? How many of you have gone out with good intention to buy that gift for a family or for a friend, and, and you don't come home with that, but you come home with a gift for your... Come on, just raise your hand. This is group... It's a safe place. Okay, we see those hands. Shame on you. That is horrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'll just say this. I still don't have a gift for Nina, but I got a pair of new kicks in my closet at home. I'm guilty as well. We get into the holiday season, and... And it's natural. We start thinking about us. And maybe it's not gifts for you. Maybe it's just an attitude. Like, I don't want to go be with... Do I have to be around that person and listen to them say this or listen to them talk or be around that attitude? And it becomes about what I want to do. Why do I have to do that? I don't want to experience that. No, it's not about what I can give. It's about what I can get. It's about what I take away from an experience. And that's, in some ways, how we read this story, how I read this story with the cynic in mind. But the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of Jesus is very different. It's about what can be given, not what can be taken away. And so we read this story, and what do the, do the shepherds actually get out of this story? Number one, the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming Messiah and the anticipation that comes. Number two, the promise of the presence of the king. I don't think we can properly appreciate this. I don't think we can properly estimate the incredible thing that happens when you step into the presence of the Lord. That's what they are given. That's what is received from them. It's that simple axiom that, that it's not what's underneath the tree, but it's, what, it's who is around the tree. It wasn't about the work that Jesus would do for them. It, it was about the worth that Jesus would store within them. In his presence comes peace. In his presence comes joy and fulfillment. The soul feels its worth in the presence of the king. My mom is such a great example of living in the presence of God. And uh, she was uh, one day prompted in her heart just to begin praying and to go over and to pray with the neighbor. And so she didn't 
want to extend herself at that time. So just, she just started praying at, at home for that neighbor. And, and the day went by, and she kept feeling this prompting in her spirit that she needed to get over there. And so finally she grabbed a... a she had baked some bread, and so she grabbed some of that bread. She took it over and, uh, to the neighbor's house and knocked on the door, and the neighbor answered, and she said, Hey, Merry Christmas. Just wanted to, uh, to hand this off to you. I hope you have a great day. And the, the lady was kind of hurried and, and out of sorts, and something was going on, and so she seemed like she wanted to get away. So, she, so my mom just said, Listen, I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you, that, uh, that I care about you, and I'd love to, if I could ever pray with you sometime, I'd love to support you in that way. And the lady grabbed her hand. She pulled her inside, closed the door, and sat her down. And she said, listen, I was vacuuming right now. And I, was, I just was crying out to God, saying, God, do you even know me? Do you, even, do you love me? Do you care about me? Do people around here even know who I am or care who I am? And then a knock on the door came. And I answered, it was you, and you shared this. And she said, I just feel dirty right now. She physically got up and went and washed her hands. She felt dirty, and she came back. And they had this beautiful moment in prayer in God's presence. And the presence of the Lord was showing her that that he loved her, that he accepts her. An element of conviction within her heart. My mom would say, that's only God. That is only the presence of God. When I walked in that door, the presence of God walked before me. And when you step into his presence, he begins to change you. You can't enter into the presence of God and come away unchanged. It is a life-altering, a heart-altering, a paradigm-shifting experience that we have. It's a holy moment. It's a defining moment. We see in, the, in this song, I love the way this song depicts the holy night. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and a glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born, O oh, night, O oh, holy night, O oh, night divine, to experience the presence of God elicits a response Within us, we can't stay still. We must respond. And the song, it, it, it leads us. It builds to a certain moment and crescendos musically to a certain moment. You read the poem and you see that it all builds, that the sentence structure and the, the capitalization and the exclamation points all build to this one moment in this song to fall on your knees. The Hebrew word barak means to kneel or bow, to give reverence to God as an act of adoration, to be attuned to him and his presence. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down, Barak. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pastures, the, the sheep of his hand. This is a moment of awe before Almighty God in this holy moment. And the song doesn't ask a question, will you consider bowing on your knees? No, it gives a command to fall, to drop, to pounce, to plummet to your knees in humble adoration of our Lord and Savior. 
It's not a gentle whisper into the crib to a baby. No, it's a shout from the field that he is mighty and merciful and good and powerful and present and all-knowing and all-caring. He is accepting. He is loving. He is gracious to a people who do not deserve grace. And he extends his grace to us who don't deserve it. To be in the presence of the King in this Christmas season. Whatever circumstances you step in, enter them with praise. With praise for our God. When the suddenlies of life show up in your midst, what is your response? Is your response to bicker? Is it to be annoyed? Is it to respond in anger? Is it to speak that word that you know that you'll regret later on? The shepherds respond to the suddenly in verse 15. Let's go, they say. Let's go check this thing out. Let's go to Bethlehem and see him. There's a response to this experience. Their response is to to go experience fulfillment. They have been given an invitation. Just because they have been given an invitation, though, doesn't mean that they have experienced the presence of God. All of us in this place have been given an invitation. But just because you know the songs, just because you know the story, doesn't mean that you have stepped in to the presence of Jesus. Every single one of us here has received an invitation, whether from a spouse or a parent or a friend or a child or a scripture verse or the prompting in our own hearts or here this morning, we have received an invitation into the presence of the king. And we have a responsibility. We have a calling to go to a confrontation to the presence of the Lord. Luke 5.32 says, I am here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Matthew 22.14, for many are invited, but few are chosen. All of us have been invited, but few of us accept that invitation, 2 Peter 1.10. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. What is your response to the hope of Christ? The shepherds sought Jesus out. We're not told much about their experience in his presence, but we're shown the aftermath in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Verse 18, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. I think our calling is twofold in this season. Number one, to get in the presence of God. Number two, to proclaim the presence of the Lord. We see this cyclical pattern in this scripture. It starts with proclamation, then it goes to invitation, Then it goes to confrontation, and then it comes back to proclamation. It starts right there and ends right there. To proclaim the presence of God results in what? A proclamation of the presence of God. How does that happen? Only if we are able to enter into his presence and experience his presence through the invitation. At the end of the day, This story is about nothing more than the honor that we experience by being allowed into the presence of the Lord. 
Getting into his presence means two things. Number one, it means creating margin, just moments of margin to spend time in his word this season. It means creating moments of margin to appreciate the life that God has given to us and the people and moments of margin to prayer and just and seeking the Lord. Number two, it means being present in his presence. What do you mean by that? I mean that, that in the last week and a half, and all that we have digested as a country and the way that we continue to mourn for those kids and those families and grieve for them and try to learn how to become better through this experience and all that has happened, one thing that I've noticed and that I've appreciated is the way that parents are talking about their kids. See Facebook posts. Hey, just appreciate my kids today. Spending time with, with my children today appreciating what God has given to me, trying to be present with my children today. There's been a response, a positive response. And I, myself, I do it. And when, I take, <clears throat> when I take Ella to her school, instead of turning on the radio, I'm turning it off. I'm trying to enjoy our time together. We have a few moments together. I'm trying to be present in her presence. You can be here on a Sunday morning. You can be with your family you can spend time in God's word, but it doesn't mean that you are fully, are you present in his presence? We are called, one of the greatest honors that we have received is to come into the presence of the king. In 1967, Dr. Raymond Edmond was the president of Wheaton Bible College. And um, he gave his last sermon entitled, entering the presence of the king. He had just had the opportunity to go over to Ethiopia and spend time with Haile Selassie, who was the emperor or the king of Ethiopia. And he was so impacted by his experience that he had to come back and, and share about it in this sermon. And so he talked about uh, the idea of how he had to go early and he had to prepare himself and learn some things before he entered. And then he came in and he first stated his invitation and then he had to receive confirmation to come forward. And then he stopped halfway and he had to get confirmation again. And hopefully he would then gain audience with the king. And he talked about the parallels, how to come into the presence of our king, we need to be prepared. We need to humble ourselves before him. And we need to understand and have a reverence for the invitation that we have been given. That to enter into his presence... There is no more life-giving thing in our world than to be in the presence of God. And he was talking about this to the students. And halfway through his sermon, he leaned over and he fell over and passed away in the pulpit. And it was this sudden moment, this collapse and this, this shocking moment. But what happened that day was that the students didn't leave that chapel they began to seek the presence of the king. They began to spend time in the presence of the king and they stayed overnight and they began to be all-nighters and, and revival ended up coming to the Wheaton campus. And, and professors started to teach differently and students started to learn differently and all this began to swirl. And, and right in that same year, the, the church that I grew up in had, had been planted and, and some of the students started coming over just trying to, to find and experience the power of God, they started coming to church. 
something happens in your life, in your midst, in your community when you enter the presence of the king, to enter his presence. It shouldn't be taken lightly. It should be taken understanding that we are called to a level of reverence. Yet the beauty is this. There are many different ways to enter into his presence. If you're here this morning and you're well-spoken and you're well put together and you've, you've got some things happening, you've got some things going on, you've got resources, guess what? You're not excluded. You are able to come into the presence of the king and you are invited to kneel, to bow down before the king. But guess what? If you've got nothing here today, you have very little to offer and you're beaten and bruised and you're beat down and you are humbled and you don't have much in your hands, you don't have much at stake, guess what? You're invited to. His invitation is not one-dimensional. No, he doesn't exclude any one of us, but he desires that all of us would come into his presence. The shepherds, Why were the shepherds chosen as unique in this story? Why were they called out? It wasn't who they were. It wasn't what they had done. It was that they had received an invitation. They had been invited. And yes, they didn't receive any physical gift, but they got the greatest gift of all. That was to be able to enter into the presence of the Lord. The soul felt its worth within them as they entered his presence. And I pray that all of us do the same. Pray with me. Lord, we give you honor this morning. God, we give you praise and reverence today. And we thank you that your grace is sufficient for all our needs. Lord, as we read the Christmas story, as we enter into the Christmas season, Father, we pray that we would have an understanding of what this is all about, that we would have an awe at what you have done to take normal, to take the fringe of society and choose to use them as your mouthpiece to proclaim your word and to allow them into your presence. Today, that same invitation is evident and is here among us. That is all might come into my presence. Come with reverence, though. Come to the king with whatever you have, with whoever you are, with whatever you've brought, whatever you look like, whatever you smell like. You are invited into the presence of the king. And so, Father, I pray that we would take seriously our calling and our our opportunity this Christmas season, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.